Well, it is an absolute pleasure to be with you guys this evening. My name is Miata Jones, and I get um, the opportunity to continue this incredible sermon series that we're in, Idol Smashers. Who else has enjoyed this? Maybe (laughs) been convicted, been challenged. Yes, yes, and yes. Um, But this series is based on this one verse in Exodus 23. So we know that the story of Exodus is a story of God bringing the people of Israel out of bondage and into promise. The wilderness he used as a method and a process to get Egypt out of them. Amen. Amen. Because he knew that slavery and bondage had changed them so completely. It had altered their operating system so completely that he had to start over. God knew that without transformation, they were bound to not just repeat the things they learned in Egypt, but become like the very people who enslaved them. So he says this in Exodus 23, verses 23 and 24. It says, for my angel will go before you and bringing you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites, I had to look up all this stuff, (laughs) so you may live there, and I will destroy them completely. Verse 24, you must not worship the gods of these nations or serve them in any way or imitate their evil practices. Instead, you must utterly destroy them and smash their sacred pillars. Another translation says it this way, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do as they do but to utterly overthrow them and break them into pieces. I believe that God is calling us, each and every one of us in this room and those that are joining us online, to personal holiness. To pursue a singular relationship with God and to cast all our idols aside. To truly become a people for his own possession, a people who can carry his presence into the world. So how does this relate to us today? So I've been reading through the New Testament, um, and I've finished it up, um, and I got to Revelation 22, and it says this. So I'm going to read it in context so that we get the full breadth of this. This is Jesus um, announcing this, verse 12, Revelation 22. He says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Verse 15, outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. You see, if we do not deal with and destroy the idols in our lives, they will become the very thing our children will have to deal with generationally. But not only that, they will become the very thing that keeps us out of the promise of God. If we do not destroy these idols, we won't experience the type of revival, life, power, and victory that we desperately seek and that God intended for us. So I have a couple of questions for us right on the top. So if you're taking notes, write this down. You know, in Psalm 193, um, 139, not 93, wow. (laughs) David says this, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. So my question is, examine yourself tonight. What are you gazing at? obsessing about, desperately worried about, not doing, not being, or not having? Do you feel stuck at times in sin patterns or thought patterns? Do you feel spiritually and emotionally dry or far off from God? Do you ever feel hopeless that you aren't at a certain place in your life or achieve certain things? We need to ask ourselves honestly tonight, is there any area of our life where a good thing has become a God-sized thing? Tim Keller says this, and you know it wouldn't be 715 without a Tim Keller quote, and a quote on the screen. That's right, Pastor Corey. Hey, let's go. Not this one. (laughs) The other one. What is an idol? There we go. Okay, so this is our working definition tonight. 
Tim Keller says this, what is an idol? Anything can serve as an idol or a counterfeit God. It is anything more important to you than God. Anything you build your life around and happiness upon. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at in your heart of hearts and say, if I have that, then I'll feel like my life has meaning. Or with this thing, I know I'll have value, significance, and security. So tonight, I am coming for the idol of relationships. How many of us can agree (laughs) that we need relationships? Not just romantic ones, but we need family, we need community, right? But how many of us can also agree that for all of the delight, the joy, the hope, the truth, the belonging that we feel in relationships, there is also pain, misunderstanding, loss, challenges, frustrations, right? This idol of relationships has been running rampant in our generation. It has done damage in our lives, in our families' lives, in the world around us. You see, we have the most connected generation in the history of the world, and yet people are dying of loneliness. The statistics of pornography use is getting younger and younger. Divorce rates are steadily climbing in and outside of the church, so much so that we have a generation of people not wanting to get married, but just cohabitate and build lives that look like marriage without the spiritual and legal commitment. The idol of relationships isn't just something that non-saved people are dealing with. It's in the church. It looks no different in the church than it does in the world. In fact, this idol is the silent killer in the church, destroying our Christian witness. And listen, this message isn't one that I'm preaching from some far off, like high perch. I'm 37 years old. I've never been married. I don't have any kids. And I feel the pressure. Actually, daily people ask me, (laughs) are you getting married? Are you seeing someone? What's going on? What's, you know, what's going on? (laughs) Can I get a witness? (laughs) But seriously, um, This idol uh, has tried to take up residence in my own life. It's something that I've had to actively war against. And so I have this conviction tonight with all of us in this room and those joining us online is this. If we learn to make war on the right things, learning to rightly deal with the things that are at war for our attention and affection, Then and only then will we have a fighting chance to not just be around revival, but to experience revival and transformation in our own lives and especially in our relationships. So the title of my message this evening is Stop Playing With Me. Just kidding. (laughs) It's Stop Getting Played, the idol of relationships. All right. So if you are taking notes tonight or you have your Bibles, um, let's stand to our feet because this is our tradition. We honor the word of God and the reading of the word. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 3. We're going to read 1 through 13. And I I feel like every time I get up here, I'm reading a lot of scripture, but whatever. I love the Lord and I love his word. Okay, so here we go. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals. This is the NLT version the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Verse 6, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. 
At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. The Lord called out to man and said, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave the fruit and I ate it. And then the Lord God asked, (laughs) and then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the precious gift of Jesus. We thank you that there is hope and life in this room because you are here. We thank you, Lord, that you are well able to answer our every need, that you aren't deterred by our doubts. You aren't discouraged by our questions or our longings or our yearnings. You invite us to bring them all to you, and you have an answer for it in who you are and in your word. So as we open your word tonight together, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, illuminate to us like only you can do. Reveal yourself to us in a new way. Would we see you in a way that we haven't seen you before? Would you be glorified in this church and forever? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. Yes. All right. So just so I know what I'm working with tonight, show of hands, who loves movies more than you love TV shows? Let me see. Okay. That's a great. Oh, wow. Okay. Who loves TV shows more than you love watching movies? Okay, it's kind of 50-50 in here. Okay, so for all my TV show watchers, have you seen any reality TV shows? (laughs) Okay, show of hands. I just want to see. Who's seen The Bachelor? Okay, Bachelorette? Bachelor in Paradise? Love is Blind? 90-day fiancé? Wow, all right, married at first sight. (laughs) keeping up with the Kardashians just kidding Um, that's right thank you God even if you've never seen an episode of a reality TV show you probably know what these scenarios are about right Um, it's the one thing we all love to talk about and obsess about love relationships dating marriage Um, there are buildings built to it the Taj Mahal We write songs about it. We watch movies and shows about it. We write endless articles and podcasts and books and TED Talks. I mean, who else is obsessed with Scandaval? (laughs) Who knows what Scandaval is in this room? Okay, yes, okay, girlfriend. It's just me and you tonight. Um, And Queen Charlotte. (laughs) Not the clap, okay, I love you. Um, We are all obsessed as a society with seeing love, finding love, being in love, for a couple of reasons, I think. The first one is that relationships are a fundamental part of humanity, right? So unlike what my mom told me when I was a child, because I asked her, where do babies come from? And she said, I was born into a cabbage patch field <laughs> for all my millennials. You know what that is. Um, but unlike what she told me, we are a result of relationships. We're born into a set of interlocking relationships called a family unit. Um, and science backs this up. So I recently read an article that said the largest predictor of human health and happiness isn't wealth or status. It's the number of loving relationships we have. But I also think number two reason is there is this deep desire in all of us. It's kind of written into the heart of man. Um, it's this, this desire to know and be known. It's to love and to be loved deeply. Tim Keller, now we can put my, Tim, my other Tim Keller quote. Where's Pastor Corey? <laughs> to be loved. I love this quote. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. 
but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. And yet, for many of us in this room, relationships are the source of some of our biggest pain points. Either we've experienced the horrors of relationships gone bad, or the deep pain of divorce and heartache, or on the other side of that, we're looking for and kind of longing for love and marriage and both seem to be a dream long out of reach. In a lot of ways, our first education in love and relationships came from our family and friends. And our second education has come from the influence of culture that we see in movies and TV shows. You see how I didn't mention that the word of God is our first education, because it normally isn't. So think about it this way. Who told you there was a knight in shining armor? Disney. Who told you to try it before you buy it? High school, someone said, period. (laughs) Car commercials, right? Come in and test before you buy it. Who is telling us what is the right and wrong ways to do things and what is the right and wrong timeline for all of these things? (laughs) That's right. Listen to daddy. Okay, Um, our lives seem more like love is blind than a Hallmark movie. But we live in this dissonance of realities, right? There's this expectation of what we think it should come out to be and then the reality of what we're finding ourselves in. The truth is for a lot of us, if we're honest, we've taken God out of relationships. We've compartmentalized God in our lives to keep him away from, or maybe we haven't even thought that God should be king in this area. We've been operating, because of that, we've been operating in a system with no rules, no real purpose, other than self-gratification, the idol of self. And we've gone to the altars, I mean, bookstores and astrological signs and magazines and Google and Justin LeBoy and friends... (laughs) Without God in his rightful place, the idol of relationships will take his place. And love and relationships will become perverted and warped, and we end up using people and loving things. In an effort to manufacture love and intimacy without God, we've created pornography. Where real intimacy is replaced with perversion. So I want to back up. I want to back up this train. I know we all love origin stories. It's why we watch Queen Charlotte, right? We love it. This all began with our mom and dad, Adam and Eve, right? So you're wondering what what does this have to do with anything? It all began with them. The dysfunction that we are watching and experiencing all began with their disobedience in the garden. So let me do a quick overview of Genesis 1 and 2. And, you know, when I say calls it good, shout out calls it good, because we're about to wrap together. Okay, so God speaks, separates light and dark, and calls it? Yes. Separates land from sea and calls it? Separates the water and the sea and the water and the heaven and calls it? Makes day and night and calls it? Creates all living things, big and small, and says it's? And then as the crown jewel of creation, he creates man. But he doesn't make man in the same way that he created everything else, right? He says, let's make man in our own image. Then he creates man from the dust of the earth and he breathes his own breath into him. God looks at this man, his new creation, and for the first time in the creation story, he says something is not good. Man is alone. God himself is not alone in the Godhead. And to image God rightly, there needs to be community. Let me say that again. To image God rightly, there needs to be community. He then creates the woman from the man and says, now it's good. So we see in the original creation of man and woman, 
Humans are made to be reflections of God's character. They're appointed representatives of God. Um, They have a purpose. They have a mission. God blesses them. He puts them in the garden. Um, And as image bearers, they have a choice how they will go about building this world. There is only one rule that God gives them. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And up to this point, God has defined what is good, what is not. He has set up guardrails, and he set up the world to operate at its most optimal. There's no violence, there's no shame, there's no pain. But being that God made man in his own image, he made them with free will. And this means they are given a choice. And so we get to chapter 3 that we read, and we see this play out when the snake arrives on the scene and begins to tell them a different story. And he says to them, seizing knowledge of good and evil won't lead them to death, but will make them like God. The choice is theirs. Do they trust God's word and his character and his definition of good and evil? Or do they trust the word of the snake and seize autonomy and define good and evil for themselves? We all know how this story plays out, right? Instead of trusting God, the human sees autonomy. And in an instant, the whole world is put into disarray. God tells them the tragic results of their choice in verses 14 through 20. Every aspect of their life is fraught with grief, pain, and the biggest consequence being in their relationships. Human relationships are fractured at every level. We see brokenness in their relationship with God. We see brokenness in the relationship between men and women, husband and wives, parents and children. That's why there's misunderstanding. That's why there's mistrust. That's why there's jealousy. There's shame. Brokenness in relationship between mankind, we see genocide, we see holocaust, we see wars. Brokenness in the relationship between mankind and the earth, we see earthquakes. We live in a good world that we have turned bad. And we've all chosen to take and make for ourselves. So this isn't just on Adam and Eve, this is on us too. Right? Every day we take and make for ourselves and define what is good and evil. And then, in turn, we contribute to the world of brokenness. So I want to talk tonight about three lies that I see play out in this story of Adam and Eve. I'm going to call them love lies. The first one is God is holding out on you. It's the lie that has traveled through centuries and generations and plagues every generation that God cannot be trusted. The enemy convinced Eve that God was keeping good from her. And this is the root of most of our deciding to replace God with an idol. And here's how this lie plays out when relationships becomes an idol. God can't be trusted, so then I put my trust in man-made things, dating apps, mixers, hookup culture. When relationships become an idol, when this lie plays out, What you don't have becomes greater in your sight than what you do have. You start looking at people who've been married two, three, four times and start thinking something must be deeply wrong with you because you haven't gotten a chance to make even one mistake. When relationships are an idol, you are chasing and becoming whatever it is you think you need to be to get the attention that you want. It's the lip fillers, the Botox, the tighter skirts, the higher heels. And listen, I love fashion and skincare. Don't get me wrong. The fashion. (laughs) But who is it for? Them or you? When relationships become an idol and this lie plays out, you become pessimistic and cynical about love and relationships. Justin LaBoy is a cynic. Always have a reason to doubt relationships and it being real and lasting. Love lie number two. You take the reins for yourself because you know better than God. The first thing the enemy introduces to Eve is doubt. And in the dictionary, doubt is defined as an erosion of trust or confidence in the word or character of something. The lie that undergirded the doubt that God is holding out on you is that God can't be trusted. So when we take the reins for ourselves in relationships, we allow ourselves to be the definer and determiner of relationships. We determine what they are for, the purpose. 
and then we go on to determine who they serve. So when it stops serving me, when it stops stroking my ego, I'm out. So then there's these real questions that start to play out when this love lie is in play. Did God really say that he or she has to be a Christian to date them, to marry them? Is it really bad if I have sex outside of marriage? We've been dating for two, three, four years now, and they know I'm committed to them. You see, the enemy takes a little bit of truth, and he perverts it every single time. Another way that uh, you know that relationships have become an idol in your life is that delay becomes an enemy. There's this movie that I love, me and... um, Baina, shout out Baina if you're watching at home. We love to watch this movie. You probably watched it like 15 times. It's called Magic of Ordinary Days, and it's a Hallmark movie. I love Hallmark. Um, so let me catch you up. It's a movie based in the 50s. This girl, she is in college. She's just living. She's doing her thing. Um, her mom gets sick, and so she spends some time taking care of her mom, and her mom ultimately um, dies. And in her grief, she, she goes to fill that hole of grief with comfort. And she finds her comfort in the arms of a man. She gets pregnant. And you know, in the fifties, you got it. That's unheard of. So they marry her off to this man in the Midwest. She finds herself waking up at night, crying in her sleep. Um, and the gentleman wakes her up and she says this one line that has stuck with me forever. And I think it's applicable here. She says this, I gave my whole life away just to be held. Listen to me very clearly. The holes that are made in your life because of grief or loneliness or wanting to be known and loved, if not checked, will drive you to fill it with any and everything if God is not your source. And you'll end up in a place where you have no idea how you got here, giving your life away just to be held. Another way that you can see that relationships are an idol is that if any man or woman gives you a slight bit of attention, I'll just leave that there. Um, (laughs) I'll leave that there because I got 17 more idols. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) When relationships are an idol, it's more about the ring and the title and the benefits. And it's not even even about the specific man or woman. You find your security and identity in being in a relationship. You let external and internal pressure of why you aren't married and why you haven't this and your biological clock this ticking make you miss all the flying red flags. I've watched too many people make this mistake. And I'm tired of it. And that's why I'm coming for the idol of relationships. And last one in this section, um, relationships, you know, relationships are an idol when you disappear, when you get in a relationship or you become whoever you, you, you're with needs you to be. I think about queen Charlotte, right? She was betrothed at uh, lady Danbury was betrothed at three years old. She was raised to only like and know the things that her husband knew and liked. So when he died, she had no idea who she was. Do you all of a sudden like basketball because he likes basketball? <laughs> Listen, because I'd be like, I'm not going. But I love you, so I'll be there, you know. Checking Instagram. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Another lie that we see this story unveil for us and how it has played out in the relationship, um, the idol of relationship is this. You can't trust each other. They see how vulnerable they are naked and shame is introduced. They can't trust each other so they make clothes and hide themselves from one another. Why do they need to protect themselves from one another? There's never been any reason to. So when God finds them, then they start blame shifting. And here's how this lie plays out when relationships are an idol. 
You've been in several back-to-back relationships and everything is the other person's fault. When relationships are an idol, jealousy and comparison becomes the driving force to get into a relationship. We know that comparison is a thief of joy, right? Because it robs you of running your race. You're so focused on what's going on over there that you miss your entire thing. You know that relationships is an idol in your life when you're having anxiety and panic attacks about getting to a certain age and having no suitors. So you're on every dating app and lowering your godly standards. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against dating apps. It's just what is your motivation for being on there? What are you trying to get? You know that relationships are an idol in your life when you traffic in shame. You lack vulnerability and accountability. Nobody can tell you that you're wrong because you're right. That's when you know that relationships is an idol. When relationships are an idol in your life, suspicion, blaming, and manipulation become rampant in your relationship. Because this person gives you security and meaning, right? So I have to manipulate the situation so that they stay with me. Hello? Okay. When the idol of relationships takes the place of Jesus in our lives, love and relationships become perverted, and we end up using people and loving things. You know, as I close, I want to drive this point home, and I know you guys have been wondering what these beautiful chess pieces are doing here the whole time. Um, So I went to chess camp when I was in elementary school. (laughs) Super nerd. All right. Um, And (laughs) one of my sister's friends, so I know what these pieces mean a little bit, but one of my friends um, teaches chess to kids in DC. So I had to run some of this by him. And lo and behold, we were right. Okay. So I'm going to start with the, the smallest piece. This is the pawn. So the pawn has the most pieces on a chessboard. The pawn also can transform into anything. The pawn also doesn't do anything by itself. It always works in packs. That's right. Okay, period. (laughs) This is the knight. The knight uh, is the only piece on the chessboard that can hop. Um, The knight also is how the game is activated. So you have to move either the knight or the pawn to activate the game of chess. Right? Okay. Then we have the queen. The queen can move, is the most agile piece in the chess game. Um, The queen needs to be protected because if you lose her, you're at a significant disadvantage. Then we have the king piece. The king piece moves the least. (laughs) Never defeated, never shaken. Okay, Um, this piece you have to protect at all costs. Why? Because if you lose your king, and get checkmated, the game is over. Jesus is the king. Peace. Many of us are losing before we even begin because we don't have a relationship with the king. Many of us are playing a losing game because the king is out of place. So what am I saying tonight with this idol of relationships? Get the king back in his place. Bye. Toodaloo. (laughs) This is the only piece I need. Okay. So how do we war against and smash this idol practically? 
I have about five steps. Six, okay, five. The first one is to ask God to reveal himself to you and who he really is. We talked about love lie number one, right? Being that um, God is holding out on you, that he can't be trusted. How do you know that he can be trusted unless you go back to what he said and who he is? You need him to reveal who he really is to you. The second one is one of the most powerful things that we have as Christian believers. It's the act of confession and repentance. It's not just a one-time thing that we do when we are getting saved. It's the thing that we continue to do and do over and over and over and over again until we are transformed into the image of Christ. We need to confess that this thing is running rampant in our life. Repent and repeat. The next one is that we need to surrender this area to God. And I'm not talking about the church Sunday morning surrender, where you just raise your hands, I surrender all. And then you get in the parking lot, it's like, get up out my way. You know what I mean? Like, like who? Did I just see you in the sanctuary? <laughs> Are you the same girl? <laughs> no, no, not that type of surrender. I'm talking about the real surrender, where you bring all of your doubts and your fears before God. And all your wants and your desires. And you say, God, you can have it. You rule. We need to seek the truth in the Bible. Not in movies. Not in your friends' relationships. Not in your parents' relationships. We need to seek the truth in the Bible. And we need accountability and discipleship. We have spent too many years being discipled by the culture and our friend groups that we don't even know what the true meaning of relationships is or even how to conduct ourselves in healthy relationships. The next one is once you've heard the truth, obey it. Wow. Crazy. That's crazy. Wow. Listen and obey. That's what my parents used to say. And I used to be like, no, but now I'm eating Brussels sprouts because what she told me then was healthy for my body. I didn't want to believe, but now I'm willingly drinking down greens and stuff because that's the only way my body will be working at its optimal uh, form. Listen to the truth and obey. It's the only way your Christian life will work at its optimal form. And last, but definitely not least, get filled with the Holy Spirit. We're in a series on Sundays on the Holy Spirit. If you have not come, you need to come this Sunday. This is Pentecost Sunday, Holy Ghost. The Christian life and this life that I'm talking about, being an idol smasher, is not just hard, it's impossible without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We live in a world that is spiraling out of control with no idea where north is. We need to be a people who carry the presence of God and are signposts to the goodness and glory of God. That's what a real relationship with God and when it overflows into our relationships looks like. It's supposed to be a sign and a wonder to the world. So... An elder told me this a long time ago, um, and it stayed with me for forever. He said that marriage magnifies the state it finds you in. So if you're broken and desperate and lustful and prideful, that's exactly what will be magnified in your marriage. If your marriage finds you healthy, purpose-filled, accountable, transparent, and vulnerable, that's what will be magnified in your marriage. What do you want? How do you want to live? Do you want to be playing a losing game from the get-go? Or do you want the overpowering, victorious life that God has called us to live? So I want to end this with praying. Um, So let's all bow our heads. First, I want to 
start out by giving a place for people who don't have a relationship with God. I don't want to assume that everybody in this room has a relationship with God. I want to give space for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. You're not in the game until you have the king. Get in the game. Win. So if that's you, please raise your hand and we can pray. I see that hand. Let's pray. Pray this with me in your heart. God, I surrender. I surrender. I recognize now that I've been playing a losing game without you. And Lord, I need you to be the king of my heart and the king of my life. Lord, I give the full reins of everything I am, everything I have to you, Jesus. You can have it all. Lord, would you take this mess and would you make it a masterpiece in your hands? It's in Jesus' name we pray. And I want to give space for another group of us that this is an idol. The idol of relationships is running rampant in your life. And you want to do this. You want to confess and repent. And so if that's you, you know that you have been bound up with this thing. Raise your hands. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see those hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, we're going to pray. God, I thank you that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you have given us you. And Lord, when we have you, we have all we need. So God, you see us in this place and we're saying, Lord, this thing is running rampant in my life and I do not want it anymore. I want to be in alignment with you. Would you remove, would you smash, would you destroy this idol so that I can walk in the fulfillment of what you've called and what you want for me? God, I don't want to repeat the patterns of the past. I'm not going to repeat the patterns of my family lines. I'm not going to repeat the patterns of this world that believes that relationships are to be used, not people to be loved. God, we repent tonight and say, have your way in this place. Have your way in my heart remove this idol, bring it up, Lord. Let me say it to whoever I'm in accountability with and discipleship that they may walk me to the rivers of living water and God, that you would deal with this thing and remove it. And the last group, we'll have pastors up at the front, but if you, the Christian life is hard. It's impossible without the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I want to make sure that we don't leave this room without getting a chance to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us again. And if you're brave and courageous, I invite you to the front of this room where our pastors are going to be and say, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit tonight. I want the power to be victorious. I want the power to overcome. I want the power to live this life the way that God has called me to live this life. Would you come out of your seats? Would you get come to the front of this room so that we can pray for you? God is a good father. He does not withhold any good gifts. And for those that ask, he willingly gives. If this is you, raise your both of your hands. Come down to the front if you're brave enough and courageous. Yes, yes, yes. Come on. Yes, Lord. Come on, Holy Spirit. Yes, baby girl. So our pastors are down here. They're going to pray for us. And even if you didn't come to the front, but you want 
a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, I want you to raise your hands in your seat. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come now, Lord. Come now, Jesus. Say, come now, Lord. Come now. I need you, Jesus. I need the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives tonight. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that is the paraclete, the comforter, the advocate, the defender, the spirit of truth, the one that leads us to you, Jesus. We need more and more and more of you, God. Would you fill us to overflowing tonight, Jesus? Fill us with the power of the Holy Ghost in this room. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Begin to thank him. Begin to call out for him. Our God is a good God that he gives good gifts to those who call and ask for it. Jesus, we welcome you in this place. We welcome you in this place. We welcome you in this place. We make room for you, Holy Spirit. Remove every piece that is not like you in this room. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, God. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We need you. Come now, Holy Spirit. Come now, Holy Spirit. Come now, Holy Spirit. We need you. We need you. Come now, Holy Spirit. Come now, Holy Spirit. Come now. We need you, we need you. Come now, Holy Spirit. Come now, Holy Spirit. Come now, Holy Spirit. We need you, we need you. Come now, Holy Spirit. Come now, Holy Spirit. Come now, Holy Spirit. We need you. lift your hands to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Let faith rise in this room. Let faith rise in this room. Say the name of Jesus. 
declare that he is holy and mighty and matchless, that there is no one beside him, that there is no one before him, that he is the alpha and the omega, that he is the beginning and the end, that he is the bright and morning star, that he is our deliverer, that he is our redeemer, that he is our victor, that he is the mighty warrior, that he is our refuge and our shelter and our safe tower, that he is the one who saves. God, we declare that you and you alone deserve the honor and the glory, that you are matchless, that you are unshakable, that you are mighty, that you are worthy, that you are righteous, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come now, Holy Spirit. Come now. praise in this room. Hallelujah. I want to honor your time tonight. So if you need to go get your kids or you need to leave, I want to pray and release you to do that. If you want to linger in the presence of God and cry out for him, to move in your life, to touch you in a special way tonight. If you need prayer in any way, don't leave here without us getting a chance to believe God with you and for you. So God, I thank you for each and every person in this room. God, I thank you for the families that they represent, for the legacies, for the generations that they represent. God, I thank you for their heart to want you, Jesus, to be in this place, to be a people called by your name, Jesus. God, I thank you that their decision tonight, their decision day after day is changing the generations in Jesus' name. God, that they're leaving a legacy of godly followers in this room, that generations will not be the same because of the decisions that they've made in their life today. So God, I thank you for them. I pray a blessing upon their homes and their lives and their workplaces. God, that your presence would follow them. That your presence would reside in them. That they would carry your presence with them outside of these doors. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.